Welcome to Bourbon and Birds by Kentucky Fried Politics. It's a Nick Storm. On Bourbon and Birds, we pour a bourbon and discuss politics in Kentucky with lawmakers, lobbyists, consultants, and everyone in between, all in an effort to get down in the weeds and figure out the issues. This week's guest is Jim Higdon, the author of Cornbread Mafia and the founder of Cornbread Hemp, Kentucky's premier CBD company. Higdon sits down with me at his office in Louisville to talk about cornbread hemp and the move to deschedule cannabis at the federal level. Jim, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me. So uh, we're on this uh, episode of Bourbon and Birds. We're drinking a uh, Nulu bourbon this time. This is a uh, single barrel, barrel proof at 116. Uh, pick this one up today uh, and, and it smells pretty good. Cheers. So you've caught me in my off bourbon season. Mm. I typically only drink bourbon football to derby. Mm -hmm. Um, Bourbon makes me hot. It makes my face flush. And I don't like to feel that way typically when it's 99 degrees outside. It's a little hot out there. but uh, And this one's definitely a hot bourbon, but but pretty approachable. Um, I mean, for 116 and straight, this is pretty smooth. It is. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. It's good. Nulu bourbon. This is a, this is a good pick. Nulu. So this is a MGP distillate. So made in Indiana. Ah, really and new. This yes, is the very yes. north. So of, about the <laughs> four-year-old, four to six. From the north end of Louisville, by north end of <laughs> Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to talk to you about, we've got your, your cornbread set up here. I want to talk first about... Uh, about what you're doing, and then we'll get into some of the politics of hemp and marijuana. But, sure. But starting off, I, I had a chance to watch uh, through Maxim, uh, and you sent me the video. Uh, this really funny, uh, I really love the video, uh, of you comparing hemp and your product to orange juice. To orange juice. Right. So uh, cornbread hemp is Kentucky's CBD brand to the nation. We're, we're projecting nationally as a premium CBD brand. We're the only brand in the nation that's flower only, full spectrum, and USDA certified organic. And all these things are a really big deal. Uh, We've been focused on the certified organic portion of uh, our product line for some time, but this flower only aspect is super important. And the pandemic really kind of limited our ability to spread that word. And now we sort of are getting back on our feet, getting back out in the world. And this video is our way to tell folks why flower only is so important. And we're really struggling internally trying to explain why flower only is better than whole plant as a CBD formulation. And it's difficult to do without getting bogged down in the jargon of the CBD, the CBD industry. And when you do that, you've already lost all of your, all of the consumers and customers because the jargon of this industry is uh, newfangled and difficult to understand and, and kind of squishy like some of these words don't even have like appropriate definitions right so trying to find a way to explain this to folks um had been the challenge and our eureka moment was settling on orange juice like you get orange juice from oranges not from the tree and it would be absurd to think about drinking orange juice that comes from a whole tree orange juice tastes great it's good for you And where does it come from? It comes from oranges. And how do you make orange juice? Well, first, you pluck the orange. You peel it, you squeeze it, you make orange juice. Mmm, that's delicious. But hey, picking and peeling these oranges takes a lot of time and money. 
Wouldn't it be easy if we could just cut down the whole damn tree, throw it in a wood chipper, and make orange juice out of that? Mission accomplished. Time and money officially saved. But here we are, people marketing CBD products coming from the whole plant as if that's beneficial and good. Right. And so using orange juice and oranges as a metaphor for describing, here's what you want from a CBD product. You want it made from the flower of the hemp plant exclusively because that's where the cannabinoids are. Uh, it's all well and good to say, but to be able to describe it through orange juice as a metaphor gives it kind of a bite and a ring and it makes it makes a more fun yeah. video production. And it's, we had we had a good time doing it. It's funny. I'll link the, the video and um, both in, on the Apple podcast. So people can hear it. Uh, we'll either embed it on the website or, or splice it into this video so people oh, can see it. <clears throat> but it's funny. I mean, I think part of what you're up against here is explaining to people that maybe are, are first timers into this world of what what sets you apart you like you said you first have to sort of set the set the table and then before you can kind of get into to what you're eating and and you do it expertly it was really funny it was cute to watch you're great in it and you know it, what you're talking about though is is the 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 tip top of the plant there you, you're, right. you're not you know some of these other guys are are taking the the leaves and the sticks and the you know and you illustrate it by by taking this this whole orange tree and chucking it into a wood chipper and you're like Got your glass on the other side. Like, you wouldn't drink that. That shot of uh, me receiving the wood chipper into a glass was a physically painful experience. <laughs> uh, luckily, I was wearing eye protection. <laughs> it was dangerous, and I don't recommend it. But it was all for the art of illustrating the point, which is this is a terrible, stupid, asinine idea. Don't do this with yourself or your product or what you decide to do. And so I was happy to sacrifice myself for the art. <laughs> well, I, I've got to say, I, you know, you and I have been friends for a long time, but and I'm not being paid to say this and in no way. Actually, I reached out to you for this this interview. I'm I use the product. I, hmm. I get anxiety. Uh, I have a hard time sleeping often at night. I got too much going on. A lot of that that energy of all everything that I got to do the next day. I will, I'll take the nighttime formula before I go to bed and, and I'm able to calm down and, and go to sleep. Now, here's something really interesting. Yes. So you as a consumer of CBD and, and coincidentally of cornbread hemp CBD uh, have expressed that you take it for anxiety and sleep. Now, uh, in 2019, Consumer Reports and Gallup both conducted surveys of CBD users to ask them what they were using CBD products for. And the Top three reasons in both of these surveys were pain, anxiety, and sleep. But because the FDA has not yet regulated CBD at all, as a brand in our labeling on our website, even now as I'm speaking to you, mm -hmm. I cannot tell you that my product does any of these things without risking FDA enforcement. So it's more important than ever for customers, for consumers to tell other people why CBD may be beneficial mm -hmm. because until the FDA issues regulations, brands like Cornbread cannot properly educate consumers. So is the reason that, that your brand and other brands can't, hemp brands can't talk about the properties because of the association with cannabis? It's not, it's a good question, but the reason is it's like 
exclusively because the FDA regulates language, speech, relative to food, drug, and cosmetics. The Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act is what gives the FDA its enforcement of power, mm -hmm. and it regulates all speech that comes from or, or regarding food, drugs, and cosmetics. So uh, in this case, we are hopeful, as well as the entire CBD industry, uh, the hemp-derived CBD industry, hemp farmers in Kentucky, are hopeful that CBD or full-spectrum hemp extract products are regulated as a dietary supplement, in which case we can make what the FDA calls structure function claims. Uh, a structure function claim is saying something like, this product helps um, maintain normal, healthy sleep cycles. So it doesn't improve, it doesn't cure, it doesn't mitigate, it doesn't diagnose anything, but it helps maintain proper, normal, healthy X. Right. That's a structure function claim. That's what dietary supplements are allowed to make. Mm -hmm. But until those regulations are in place, CBD companies cannot make structure function claims. Now, drug claims are saying this product cures, treats, diagnoses, prevents X. Gotcha. But because there is a drug made from CBD isolate that's been approved by the FDA, no other... CBD formulation will be able to make those drug claims because there's already a drug made out of CBD isolate. But full-spectrum hemp extract is another animal entirely, and so we're hopeful that full-spectrum hemp extract, is, which contains a high percentage of CBD, um, but also other cannabinoids, including a legal amount of THC, um, Hi, and this guy. Yeah. Uh, Our director came up. I thought he was coming up for more bourbon, not or, more bourbon. We need, we need droopy, to, to droopy, microphone. droopy microphone issue. Yeah. Um, so it's also FDA regulated device for that. So full spectrum hemp extract, we're hopeful will will become a. Uh, the FDA will regulate as a dietary supplement, but the industry has been waiting for this regulation since 2019, and we're still here waiting for it. Now, today, I've not seen it yet, but I believe in the House of Representatives in Congress in D.C., they're voting on amendments um, for some appropriation bill, and among the amendments being voted on are a range of uh, cannabis-related, uh, hemp-related amendments, including an amendment that would encourage the FDA to... Um, fast track their uh, regulation of CBD, of full spectrum hemp extract mm -hmm. as a dietary supplement, uh, which we're really hopeful that occurs. Well, that's uh, a lot moving. And I was, I was telling our director, I was telling you earlier, I wanted to talk to you about some of these issues, uh, both on hemp and about cannabis at the federal level, because I don't know anybody out there that knows more about this subject area than you. I mean, before you started, uh, as a refresher for those that, that don't know Jim or coming back to Jim, before you started this company, you were the marijuana reporter for the nation. I mean, you were, you were publishing in, in all the, the major uh, magazines and newspapers about marijuana legalization, about uh, cannabis. So my Cornbread Mafia book was published in 2012. Right. Uh, I seemed really, I felt really old when it was published, but it seems <laughs> like a long time ago now. I don't know what that means about me. Um, it was supposed to be a two-year project turned into a six-year project. Uh, for I know something about this reasons. <laughs> um, 
When I find, I had one publisher, lost that publisher, finally got a second publisher. The second publisher was like, great, this is great. We'll take 85,000 words. I was like, fantastic, here's 140,000 words. <laughs> and they were like, oh, we'll make a hardcover out of this. And it went through nine printings in hardcover and then in paperback. And then in 2019, we did a revised uh, paperback. Um, we're producing a podcast of it now. So that'll be out hopefully later this year. That's exciting. Um, Absolutely. And look forward to that. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> me too. Um, and then the success of that book led me into a journalism career covering cannabis at a very high level, uh, policy, politics, um, on Capitol Hill, in the States. I reported for Politico on cannabis in D.C. on Capitol Hill, in Florida, in Nevada, in Colorado, um, and on the campaign trail. Um, and then uh, for other outlets like Al Jazeera, uh, Thrillist. Washington Post? Uh, I don't know that I ever got a cannabis story into Washington Post. I freelanced for the Washington Post when news broke in Kentucky. So I was right, the Washington right. Post's uh, stringer, stringer yes. um, in Kentucky. Um, so I was on the Kim Davis beat mm. uh, for the Washington Post. Um, Around they, county clerk. They contacted me on a on a Monday evening at like 7.30, they said, can you be at the Round County Courthouse tomorrow morning at 8 a.m.? I was like, that's kind of far, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I got there and I was reporting on Kim Davis and like, you know, taking notes, talking to people, doing the thing. And they called me at like 10.30 and I was like, yeah, you know, I got, you know, I got quotes, I got stuff. Like I'll get, I'll find a library or a McDonald's with some Wi-Fi and type this up and get it to you. You're like, no, 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 you don't understand. You're leading the Washington Post website right now. We need everything you have. Wow. And I was like, wow. oh, oh, okay, right, right. okay. And then like, you know, started reading notes back, like on you're, the phone. You're dictating the story over the phone to the editor. Uh, well, to my, to a reporter okay, partner. Okay. Uh, but because I'm on site, even though I'm a stringer, I have the front byline. Wow. Right, wow. so, <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm reading quotes back out of my notebook over the phone. And thank God I actually was doing my job <laughs> instead of just, you know, futzing around because yeah. uh, suddenly I was on the spot. <laughs> and so I'm doing it. And then my editor later that night is like, okay, so tomorrow, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, wait a minute, tomorrow, like I got a three hour drive home. And she's like, no, you don't. You're getting a hotel room. I'm like, I didn't pack any clothes. She said, go buy some. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and to catch up on this one, this was the uh, the Supreme Court uh, had had just legalized same sex marriage, and and you know for everybody that wasn't in Kentucky or, or missed this story somehow, you were living under a rock. Um, Kim Davis was refusing to issue marriage licenses um, to same sex, to, to couple. same sex. Couples. And the story that I was telling the Washington Post that was unique in the national press uh, because I was giving a Kentucky perspective to a national outlet which these other national outlets lacked, was that, look, this is happening in Moorhead, in Rowan County, not because it's backward, but because it's progressive, right? This is a college town with a multi-generational LGBTQ community that's centered around a number of institutions, not just on campus, but in the city. And there are gay people, lesbian people, LGBT right. people, couples people. who are confident living uh -huh. publicly their open, authentic lives and understand what their rights are. Exactly. And, so and culture clash. Total, total culture clash. But it was happening in Moorhead, not because it was backward, but because it was progressive. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's the story I was able to get through to the national press, through The Washington Post in that work. And it really sort of solidified my ability to 
uh, be the Washington Post guy when when shit hit the fan in Kentucky. Right. So, right. Uh, oh, I can say that on, you can on, on national TV. Go for it. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like, you know, 116 proof, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's let's fast forward for a moment. You, you've you've solidified yourself in that space. But in doing so, you're you're now qualified to take a look at some of these these efforts. As you mentioned, there's there's hemp legislation, but there's also uh, uh, cannabis, marijuana uh, legalization, descheduling, essentially at the federal level of mm -hmm. cannabis, both in the House and now over in the Senate by uh, Chuck Schumer. So Chuck Schumer, Majority Leader Schumer, um, uh, is really following the lead of uh, Cory Booker of New Jersey and Ron Wyden of Oregon, um, who have been leading this effort for some time. Chuck Schumer, uh, kind of a follower um, but as majority leader and also concerned about his political left with people like um, uh, AOC threatening to primary challenge him. Right. He is uh, conscious of uh, finding his closet liberal self and not being such a Wall Street guy and realizing that he needs to step up on this effort. Uh, and so he's allowing Cory Booker and Ron Wyden to drive the boat on cannabis legalization. And so... Um, they've introduced uh, a companion bill to what's called the Moore Act on the House side. It's got a different name in the Senate, um, but essentially not just descheduling cannabis, but also reinvesting in communities most negatively impacted by the drug war mm -hmm. over time, which by and large is communities of color. So there's a right. social, racial justice, equity portion mm -hmm. to this bill reinvesting uh, tax revenue into communities most negatively affected by the drug war um, in these bills. And that's a really exciting um, uh, part of this mm -hmm. process, not just to have a bill in, in the Senate, but to have a bill with that understands the negative impact of the drug war and using cannabis legalization to help right some of those wrongs. Right, right. And what we're talking about with descheduling isn't necessarily legalization, but it's, you know, it's an if so, fact so kind of a scenario here where uh, by descheduling, you take it out of the Controlled Substances Act, right? And, uh, you know, you're not setting a framework of how this works. You're just saying that we're no well, longer going to... We, to we've, we've seen this with hemp, with right, CBD. Right. Like the CBD legalization, the CBD industry is now the is now the stalking horse or the, or the roadmap for how this will go. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the Senate bill takes um, jurisdiction away from the Department of Justice and puts it in... Um, under Health and Human Services, uh, under the FDA. So this this backlog, this delay we're seeing in the FDA regulating merely CBD products, mm -hmm. we're faced with the reality of a, of a future where the FDA will then be forced to regulate uh, full-strength cannabis, which brings up some very fascinating issues. 36 states, 37 states have medical marijuana. I'm not sure how many... It, it's it's hard to keep track. It's easier to keep track of the states without medical without marijuana, yeah, which yeah. Kentucky, Idaho, Texas, and some other ones, Kansas, Nebraska, like uh, Alabama. Uh, there's not a lot. Right. Right? Um, right. Like Oklahoma has medical marijuana. Arkansas has medical marijuana. Louisiana has medical marijuana. West Virginia has medical marijuana. Like Kentucky, Weird. Kentucky does not have medical marijuana. I guess Mark Twain was right. Well, I... Uh, if that quote is accurate, which I don't think it is. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, and if it is accurate, I think he was talking about Cincinnati, which is where he left on that boat trip. It's a, like, don't get me down. <laughs> Samuel Clemens biography <laughs> stuff. 
because we'll talk about it, and that's not what we're here for. All right. 116 proof, huh? 116 proof. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's, there's still a good healthy amount in there. I don't man, know. We can, we can keep drinking it. Man. Who knows what kind of discussions. We may just stay here all night. Man. So it's we've got a Senate bill, which is the, the, the latest bill. It's a move from the left. The Senate is pretty much evenly split between Democrats and Republicans. Mm. <clears throat> How now do you get this thing through the Senate, if at all? Well, not with 60 votes, you don't. Right. And so and so where's the 10 Republican votes? Um, it's not going to be passed by reconciliation. I'll tell you that. So, you know. The reality is. Having these bills up for discussion is a huge step forward. Having the social and racial justice equity portions of these bills being discussed in a in a serious um, policy context is important. Um, because most people don't understand, can't connect, haven't yet connected, uh, how the drug war has impacted negatively communities of color, which is a reality that many people, especially people of color are all too familiar with, but white people who are insulated from that reality are genuinely ignorant of, Mm -hmm. and at first, at first blush can be um knee-jerk opposed to because they don't understand the cause and effect relationship therein. Right, right. So it's good to have these conversations and the Senate bill is a great way to have that conversation. Um but does it have 10 Republican votes? I don't see that. Right. Right. And so you and I were talking about this before. I think what's fascinating is uh the folks like Rand Paul. Like where does he fall on an issue like this if it gets before uh, before the Senate, right, for for a vote. How does Rand Paul move as he faces what looks to be uh, Charles Booker uh, in a general election contest? That's presumptive. Booker has to be the Democratic nominee first. Mm-hmm. But with Booker talking about uh, Black Lives Matter, defunding the police, um, you know, appealing to urban core areas, and Rand Paul being a, a Tea Party uh, anti-government Republican. Gadfly, Gadfly libertarian. Exactly. So uh, this sets up a really interesting, unique scenario for our Kentucky's junior senator uh, who's in a re-election contest. Now, you know, does Booker have what it takes to, to push it over the line? There's all these like different like political areas we could go with it. But but does that set up an interesting vote for, for Paul? Well, first uh, of all, there? I'm old enough to remember when Rand Paul swore on the campaign trail in 2010 that he would only serve two terms as senator. So there's that. So which, is, which is pretty common. Once those guys make these promises before they get in. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that you should be allowed to do that. But just, sure, but Rand right. Paul cut his teeth saying that he was not a common politician, right? He had a message from the Tea Party. Absolutely. I have a message from the Tea Party, is what I recall Rand Paul saying. I remember this. Um swearing up and down that he would serve two terms. Um, So here we are at the end of those two terms, and he's running against um, presumptively a black man from Louisville, which uh, conventional wisdom in Kentucky politics would say, not a chance in hell a black man could win statewide office, except for the fact that we have a black man in uh, statewide office as attorney general, Daniel Cameron, mm-hmm. uh, who won as a Republican. So it kind of during the Trump wave, 
with Trump's during, endorsement. During the Trump wave with the Trump endorsement. So that kind of complicates the conventional wisdom therein. Right. Um, so your question, I believe, is does Rand Paul um, lean into cannabis legalization and even social and racial justice equity as a way to declaw the Booker campaign? Um, or just because it's the right thing to do. I mean, oh, it doesn't well, have to. There, there could be it could be either or. Right. I mean, I remember talking to Paul about this <clears throat> held 2012 and, and, and Paul was in favor of some level of marijuana legalization for this very matter. Now. Paul could have the opportunity to lead on the issue. Yeah, to his credit, I recall Rand Paul uh, being a strong advocate for hemp legalization with Jamie Comer and uh, when that was an unpopular position to take. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Jamie Comer and Rand Paul and Thomas Massey, for that matter, uh, were campaigning for hemp legalization in front of the um, Farm Bureau ham breakfast, I believe, help me out, 12 Let's see. It's either 12 or 13. I think uh, 13 it passed the state so legislature. Yeah. So so in front of at the state fair, in front of the uh, ham breakfast for the Farm Bureau, um, which is traditionally uh, like, you know, a fairly conservative affair. Um, and at the time, the Farm Bureau dead set against hemp and marijuana. Uh, it was a... Um, bold effort by Jamie, led by Jamie Comer, right. but but followed by Rand Paul and Thomas Massey uh, advocating for hemp legalization, uh, got the Farm Bureau to go from against to neutral, which allowed it to get through because mm -hmm. um, the Farm Bureau pulls a lot of weight. And they were able to move McConnell. And then, and then that gave McConnell the confidence and the platform and the ability to then advocate for it on the national level, uh, on the Senate side, which was an absolute like necessary piece of this, and Ron Wyden of Oregon had been working on this for years, and McConnell finally saw something that he could agree with Ron Wyden about, and but Ron Wyden and McConnell together uh, legalized hemp through the Senate. Right, and but the vehicle they did it in, Jim, and you, as you were explaining to me earlier. It sets off all these other implications down the road for how cannabis legalization can work. They did it visa the farm bill. So the farm bill. So one thing that I learned as a journalist and something that you know and something that folks watching this is kind of an inside baseball audience, as I assume, yeah. knows is that that schoolhouse rock bill on Capitol yeah. Hill shit, uh, <laughs> that bill died a long time ago. Right? right. Like that bill died in committee, like 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 straight up murder. <laughs> <laughs> that poor cartoon bill. Ugh. Getting a standalone bill on anything passed through Congress and signed by the president is impossible in a dysfunctional Congress, which is where we are in life. A standalone bill on anything is never going to happen. So what Wyden and McConnell very shrewdly understood was in order to get this passed, they had to do it first in steps, couldn't do it all at once. And they did it through the farm bill, through committee, so that they basically slid one page into a thousand page bill that was guaranteed to pass because it funds the farm bill funds the entire U.S. Department of Agriculture, which funds everything from farm subsidies and crop insurance mm -hmm. to free school lunch programs. Right. Right. So everybody in Congress has skin in the game in the farm bill. Exactly. You can't be opposed to the farm bill. Uh, Rand Paul can be opposed to the farm <laughs> bill. Rand Paul votes against the farm bill. 
<laughs> Rand Paul says he's for hemp and votes in vote in, in is an advocate for hemp, but votes against the farm bill in final passage. Uh, so chew on this for a second. Uh, this is non sequitur, but Rand Paul, one of the most beloved politicians in Kentucky, over 50 percent approval rating. Andy Bashir, over 50 percent approval rating. Now continue, Jim. You were making a point, but I wanted to, to, to set that aside for a minute because you'll chew on that later as you're trying to sleep and you're going to need some of your own product here to go to bed at night to try and figure that one out. No, I'm not because I got this 116 proof <laughs> bourbon in July. It's 100 degrees outside. And now it feels like 116 because it's the 116 proof <laughs> bourbon. I've, I'm lit up. <laughs> and I'm really not in control of what I'm saying. So the rest of this interview could be fascinating. It really could be. Um, I might need some more. You want to refill me? Oh, I can refill you. All right, do it. Uh, uh, so farm bill. So for the farm bill. So 2014 farm bill, they pass a one-page pilot project to legalize hemp. Right. Um, now, my book, to, to give some context, Cornbread Mafia hardcover is published in 2012. Jamie Comer then, in 2012, lobbies the Farm Bureau breakfast that, that, that August. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, they roll... So, he, so hold on. So he's elected in 2011 mm -hmm. as Ag Commissioner. Exactly. 2012 is his first year in office. And then 2013, the short legislative session, they get hemp passed through the legislature. And I'm in a front row seat. I am invited to be uh, an at-large seat on the hemp commission. Uh, Jamie Comer realizes the first step of legalizing hemp is back in uh, the Paul Patton administration, I believe. This is really ta taxing uh, the old memory here. Um in the late 90s, early 2000s, in the Paul Patton administration, they impaneled a hemp commission uh, to study hemp. But that commission was never sat. Okay. So it was on the books, but never executed. So Agriculture Commissioner Comer then sat the, the, the hemp commission that was on the books in order to create uh, media attention and momentum to then pass the bill. And so as part of this rather toothless but still uh, public relations important uh, commission, um, Ag Commissioner Comer invited me as, to be an at-large member of right, this right. panel, uh, which I accepted graciously because it was great <clears throat> to be recognized as an expert in the field back then as a young person, which I am not now. So now We're still young, Jim. We're still young. You can keep telling yourself that, I but I've, I've come to terms <laughs> with where I'm at in life. Um, so I watched from a front row bleacher seat perspective, mm -hmm. uh, Ag Commissioner Comer get this passed through the legislature, um, through the Senate first, and then the Stumbo-controlled House to give <clears throat> everyone a perspective of right, the, the right. time frame we're talking about. Um, so 2013, it passes the the House. Right. And then we've got 14 with McConnell and the Farm Bill. Correct. Setting up. So the 13 bill in Kentucky, all it did was set the framework. You still had to have permission to put plant in the ground. Correct. Unless it was, I think, through research institutions. And I think you had UK and U of L, something like that, come on board. 
but then okay, yeah, right. We, but which the, which but, we can set that aside. We don't even need to right, land grant institutions. The UK right, and KSU, right. I believe, U of L is not a land grant institution. It's a whole different thing. But okay, we'll set that aside. The bourbon, <laughs> the bourbon. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, just for argument's sake. So, fourteen, McConnell gets farm bill, which sets up the 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 actual doing of of producers in Kentucky coming into Kentucky and putting plant in the ground more than just what the uh, ag commissioner at the time was 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 setting off to do to be clear research the farm bill should have passed in 13 but because of a dysfunctional congress because a john boehner controlled house could not abide by a barack obama presidency that farm bill was delayed from 2013 to february of 14 uh to be clear. Okay. So uh, should have been another 13 farm bill, was a 14 farm bill, got plants mm-hmm. in the ground. We never conceived of at the time of a cannabinoid hemp market. At the time it was- Industrial hemp. Industrial hemp, fiber stock, right. stem leaves, right. seeds. Like seeds for, for food production, fiber for construction, for, for textiles, for you know, denim. Right. Uh, cellulose from the stock for- for ethanol, uh, all these like agricultural industrial uses. And then simultaneously, this notion that, okay, if the only thing you're restricting is the THC content, so this arbitrarily weird low 0.3% THC content Mm -hmm. uh, gets stuck in this bill is like, okay, you can grow hemp, but only if the THC content is is not above 0.3% by dry weight. Um, Then really creative geneticists out in Colorado, where Merrill, where, where full strength cannabis had been legal for years by then, we're like, well, we can just flip the ratio. So traditionally, cannabis has a ratio of a high THC level, a low CBD ratio. But geneticists were able to pretty quickly over the course of, you know, basically a year, develop multiple strains of hemp that or, or multiple strains of cannabis that met the definition of hemp, hemp yeah. uh, with having like a eight to ten percent <clears throat> CBD content and a negligible below zero point three percent THC content, then all of a sudden the cannabinoid hemp market became a r- real thing. At the same time, parents of children with epilepsy mm-hmm. and other seizure-inducing conditions who uh, were giving their kids all this crazy medication with crazy side effects. We're advocating state legislatures. Look, I can give my kid this Ziploc bag full of drugs, or I can give them a dropper full. This dropper full of hemp oil, mm-hmm. and we have better results with the hemp oil with fewer side effects. And God bless these parents because they were the most effective advocates for cannabinoid hemp that America has ever seen. And in the 2018 farm bill, in the, su- in the, in the subsequent bill, <clears throat> McConnell, to his credit, ensured that cannabinoid production of hemp was enshrined in the law. Like it's right, protected right. in law. And that gave birth to the fulsome CBD industry as we know it today. It's what made cornbread hemp possible. Right. But for the, the, the topic we were discussing, here's why it's important is because of, of how you get single bills inserted into law with major federal changes isn't through a Chuck Schumer bill. It's not a standalone. It's not a standalone bill in the House. It's not a standalone bill in the Senate. You insert it in 
to a major appropriations, a major bill, appropriations bill, like the, the farm that, bill. That has to pass. And, and so all these decisions get made in the agricultural committees. Uh, the, agri- the House Agricultural Committee is testing my knowledge. The Senate Committee on Agriculture, Forestry, and something. Um, you got me. But I don't know. the agricultural committees. Yes. Uh, where no, not a lot of people are looking. Um, it's not politically hot topic territory. Uh, and these sorts of things can sort of slide through. Different versions of the bill emerge. They get resolved in a conference committee. Again, a very quiet process that's closed door, no cameras. And these things can get solved by reasonable people in a way that isn't exposed to the harsh political spotlight. Right. And perhaps in 2022, I think during three. our midterm elections, there's a there's a possibility that people could figure out, a, you know, or if not then, then maybe in 24 as we have another presidential contest. There's mm. all sorts of political... Uh, calculus that you can do here on on and and the reason that I talk about this <clears throat> one I mean like obviously for you you've you've got a vested interest here but for everybody else the it's no longer a parody it's a majority of Americans want to see this happen and it's and it is happening as you indicated before it's happening at the state level it's the feds that are behind the times so either the feds put in a big infrastructure that 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 takes care of all 50 states and territories or each individual state in their own capacity are going to put up their own framework, which, you know, make it troublesome and, and difficult for, for people to operate intra state lines. I mean, speaking as a co-founder of a CBD brand that's serving 50 states in every U.S. territory, there is a regulatory patchwork of compliance state to state that's very difficult to navigate and in some cases contradictory. Without federal regulations in place, Texas, Iowa, New York State, California are all making their own rules about full-spectrum hemp extract in retail settings that make it difficult to comply. If you like the the, the California rules and the Texas rules and the Iowa rules and the New York State rules, like none of these rules are the same. And only federal rules will solve that problem. Uh, now, as we look to what it's going to look like when federal full-strength cannabis legislation goes in, gets in, goes into place, and the FDA, I think this is where I was headed some other some some point in time in the past. Uh, one hundred sixteen proof. One hundred sixteen proof. By the way, Liquor Barn, you're welcome to sponsor the program any point in time that you want to. <laughs> this conversation has been sponsored by Liquor Barn. <laughs> <laughs> so FDA is where you were going with the with the conversation. Right. So as a CBD brand, we're hopeful that the FDA will regulate CBD products as a dietary supplement. In 36 states have legalized something that they call medical marijuana, which presumes that it's a drug. The FDA is not built for this. The FDA is not built for an agricultural product to be considered a drug. That's not how the FDA works. That's not how the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act is crafted. 
the FDA does not, the FDA wants one compound to be isolated from a plant and then put into a sugar pill and then be sold on a shelf. Right. Like, that is what the FDA understands. Medical marijuana as a concept blows the FDA's mind. <laughs> Can't conceive of it. And so it's having trouble with full spectrum hip extract. We thought they would regulate it in 2019. And here we are, you know, two years later waiting for the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so the Senate bill puts jurisdiction of cannabis, pulls it away from the Department of Justice and puts it into the FDA's pocket, but the FDA is not built for it. So when we talk about federal legalization, it's not just legalizing it or decriminalizing it. We have to have a whole new framework for understanding how we regulate it and talk about it and think about it from a policy regulatory perspective because the current regulatory framework just does not compute, can't conceive of a plant with a variety of compounds that are active simultaneously, uh, that are smoked or inhaled uh, to be beneficial in any way. It's just alien right. to the FDA. Right. So legalizing it at a federal level, even if it's through the next farm bill, which I think is the easiest vehicle to do it, we still have to think about how the FDA is going to understand and then regulate this product on a federal level um, once it's decriminalized and taken away from the Department of Justice. So the USDA uh, on the farming side and the USDA Organics Program, God bless it, remarkable, the USDA Organics Program is certifying as organic full spectrum hemp extract that includes THC, particularly our products here at Cornbread Hemp, USDA certified organic, by the way, remarkable remarkable that the USDA organic program will certify as organic a product that contains THC as it does. That's a huge step towards normalizing THC as a compound in the mind of the federal government. Right. Uh, but we're a long way from full strength cannabis legalizing it at the federal level, whether that's through the next farm bill or through a standalone bill or through a subsequent farm bill in the future. Uh, we still have to understand that regulating it is the next step. Legalizing it through Congress is only part of the process. Then regulating it through the executive branch is a whole nother trial. Well, to, to quote Dumb and Dumber, you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you that there's a chance. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's like, this process is difficult and long. Right. And for advocates who want to see things the way that I would like to see them, which is that one day we'll live in a world where cannabis is legal nationally and this, this period of prohibition that we live in now will be seen as asinine. Um, we've got a long way to go because we've had almost a hundred years to build a structure of prohibition and breaking down those barriers one at a time is difficult. Right. But we're only 88 years in, in Kentucky-ish. Only. You only. Don't, you don't say. 
from where we from where we once were and it's a completely different space than we once were and and you can sort of see out on the horizon somewhere where this is headed and i think politicians are starting to see where this is headed to well that's the good sign i mean i think the one thing that the hemp legalization has done is giving farmers a taste of what potential cannabis legalization could mean to them and their families and and, and farming communities and in Frankfurt and in D.C., but particularly in places like Frankfurt, um, the law enforcement lobby pulls a lot of weight. Um, and if it's law enforcement versus hippies, law enforcement wins. If it's law enforcement versus black activists, law enforcement wins in Frankfurt. But if it's law enforcement versus farmers, law enforcement better watch out. So it's interesting. We do have one more piece here and then I'll, I'll leave it at this topic um it's 116 proof um 2023 we're gonna have a gubernatorial election okay yeah one of the candidates likely most likely almost 100 percent likely is going to be ryan quarles in the and at least in the uh, republican side in the primary <clears throat> he's the uh, current agriculture commissioner you don't say seems like he would want farmers to be on his side and it seems like this could be an issue that differentiate Republicans from one another in a primary contest. Could we see that as a tipping point in Kentucky? Is a really interesting notion. I think uh, Governor Bashir has done a great job with the hand he's been dealt. It's a historic, you know, 100 year storm he's dealing with. Um, and yet Kentucky now has a gigantic surplus uh, windfall rainy day fund um, uh, that he can uh, campaign on. Um, but I've not seen, and again, I've been busy doing uh, this business. I've not seen Governor Bashir lean into anything regarding cannabis legalization other than being mildly in favor of it. Uh, I've not seen him prioritize this as in his messaging. <clears throat> um, so there's space. Sure. In the Republican primary, uh, you mentioned Commissioner Quarles. Um, uh, I've heard other uh, potential uh, candidates who might throw their hat in on the Republican side. Um, It'll likely be a big field, and so that's that's sort of where the question comes from. If it, you know, if you get six contenders, seven contenders, eight contenders in a Republican primary in twenty three to take on Bashir. Oh, they're going to be pretty close to one another in what their ideology is. I'll tell you this. Um, because the FDA did not issue regulations in a timely manner, um, a lot of what politicians told farmers in 2018 and 2019 turned out not to be true. I don't think that's necessarily the politicians' fault, uh, but promises to farmers about what hemp could be potentially did not occur. Uh, 2018, when I was a mere reporter. Um, a blessing to reporters, Jim. Not a mere reporter, but a god amongst men. A god women. A, a freelancer. I was a freelancer <laughs> digging a hole. <laughs> Let's be very clear. 116 proof, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. uh hemp was going for something like $40 a pound and a crop would yield a thousand pounds an acre. You know, it, it wasn't hard to 
for farmers to do some quick math and think, oh shit, really? Yeah. This is could be the thing that finally makes <laughs> makes money from farming. Makes this work that I do <laughs> night and day every day worth it. Yeah. Uh and then in 2019, once hemp was legalized, but the FDA did not issue regulations, the impact of that, the impact of the non-regulation by the FDA meant that major retailers, major grocery, major pharmacy, big box retailers would not, do not carry hemp CBD products. Kroger, Costco, Walgreens, Rite Aid, CVS might carry topicals, mm-hmm. lotions, but won't carry ingestibles, capsules, right. oils, gummies, right. which are the big ticket items. Um, and they are the largest retailers in America for people looking for these sorts of products. And so without a person's ability to go into Target or Walmart and talk to a pharmacist and get CBD products, the financial projections of many of these CBD hemp companies went bust. And what those companies were telling farmers is, give me this this year and next year it's going to be X. Next year, the year after it'll be Y. And everyone was assuming that the FDA was going to come in in a timely manner with regulations. And those regulations have not come. And consequently, a lot of farmers grew a lot of hemp and then it cratered, cratered. And we're very fortunate at Cornbread Hemp that we're not the farmer. We partner with farmers, but we're not the farmer. So we didn't bear that burden. But the farmers who did bear that burden, those farmers got burned. And politicians who are adjacent to that problem are going to have a hard time in future elections. And that's not necessarily their fault. It's the fault of things that they can't control because it's the FDA. Right. But until the FDA comes in with regulations to fully realize the full spectrum hemp market in America, those politicians are left holding back. Well, there's a lot to chew on with all that. I think that the next several years in this space is going to be incredibly fascinating to watch from a political perspective. But I think I'm more enthused to see what happens with your company and your product. I, you know, I remember hanging out with you when you were talking about launching this company. And we, we've known each other for a long time. <laughs> and and now to see it where it's at today and to know that the heights that it that is going to reach is uh, incredibly fulfilling to me to see as just a friend of yours. So you. I'm 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 very enthused and and just incredibly grateful for your for your time on this and, and really, really appreciate you sitting down with me. Well, look, I really like what you're doing um, being sort of free from corporate media and 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 launching a startup of your own uh have very much uh have like a feeling of startup empathy for (laughs) what you're going through as a startup media uh enterprise um so you know thank you for inviting me to talk to you on this uh you know i would just encourage folks to think about a world where this is legal a world where not just cbd hemp is fully legal instead of borderline legal as it is now, um, but full strength cannabis, not just caged in a dispensary, but uh, fully realized. Uh, Kentucky has 
a legacy bourbon industry mm -hmm. that brings billions of dollars into Kentucky, not just in the bottles that we export, but in the uh, tourists that we bring to Kentucky mm -hmm. and give people who come to Kentucky an opportunity to see Kentucky for uh, our best side. Um, all of these things are real, are, are, are real opportunities to take the model of the bourbon industry and create a Kentucky cannabis industry that uh, really um, surprises a lot of people with our quality and our excellence, and also just introducing our people to visitors from out of out of state, uh, you know, other countries, yeah. like yeah. everywhere. Like we're a, potentially a global center for cannabis production. We've just got a start with hemp. I think our farmers finally realize that there's a real potential here. Our politicians realize that there's real potential here. Uh, there's only a few impediments to fully realizing this. And as we look to the next legislative session, um, I think uh, in 2020, before COVID, we had a real opportunity to pass um, a medical marijuana bill. Right. It passed the House overwhelmingly. Uh, it had the votes to pass out of Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, at the very moment that COVID locked down the session. Uh, this past session this year was a short session. Uh, lots of reasons it couldn't pass. It was short and then also raised revenue. So you had to have a suspension of rules, yada, yada, yada. Um, but uh, 2022, there's a real chance that not just um, a medical marijuana bill might pass, but also a decrim bill might pass. I think there's a lot of appetite for mm -hmm. uh, removing impediments in the judiciary system. We've got a giant backlog of cases in the judiciary system that got pushed back because of COVID. Uh, a large percentage of those cases are marijuana related. It makes no mm -hmm. sense to prosecute marijuana crimes in, this, in the system that's as backed up as it is now. And so being able to expunge and uh, move on from marijuana crimes makes a lot of sense in the judicial system in Kentucky today. Mm -hmm. So I think there'll be a lot of appetite for, for looking at what a smart decriminalization bill might look like in the next session. Um, and also legalizing medical marijuana. And when we do, we need to make sure that we grant reciprocity. So for folks who mm. aren't in the weeds here, granting reciprocity would mean allowing someone from another state with a medical marijuana card to come into Kentucky and purchase medical marijuana in a dispensary right. uh, where um, uh, in the, it, without reciprocity, it would be closed to only Kentucky residents. One that's important for mm -hmm. increasing the potential um, market for medical marijuana in Kentucky for states that we may be in front of, which in this case is a limited number, but Tennessee, for example, um, Indiana, for example. Uh, and also um, for folks who are uh, out of state who want to come experience Kentucky cannabis, who already have a medical marijuana card from another state, California, uh, West Virginia, uh, literally 38 states that I won't name here, or 37 states or 36 states. Um, a lot. Most of them. Most of them. Um, most people from America who come to the bourbon trail 
are from states where medical marijuana is legal. And for those people with a medical marijuana card from another state, it would be nice to grant them reciprocity to say, if you have a medical marijuana card from Ohio, you can come to Kentucky and purchase medical marijuana. And if a police stops you for marijuana possession, you have a card from another state that says, please don't arrest me for possessing this marijuana. Right. right. Cannabis. So uh, granting reciprocity is a huge piece of this. Uh, so that people from other states can start to experience mm -hmm. Kentucky cannabis. Um, as we as we use this as a step towards a full legalization of cannabis in Kentucky and nationwide. Yeah. But, you know, we're one of 14 states, I believe, without medical marijuana. And for the sake of not being totally embarrassed by the world, we need to not be the last state. Utah has medical marijuana is what I'm saying, Nick. <laughs> Utah. So on that note, we'll be heading into another session soon. There's a lot of reasons politically to, to take this up. We'll see if somebody has the courage. Jim, thank you so much. Nick, thanks for having me. We're shaking hands in COVID. It's crazy. Oh, man. It's crazy. Don't lick my fingers. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to Bourbon and Birds by Kentucky Fried Politics. Make sure you're following all the Frankfurt gossip on Kentucky Fried dot com. <laughs>